It's the Tuesday Tout Edition. We'll talk with the founder of BaseballHQ.com and the owner of the monthly fantasy baseball game site, Chandler Park. It's Ron Chandler, next on Baseball HQ Radio. Pitches a high fly ball to right deep. Going back is Tarasco to the warning track. To the wall, he's under it now. And it's taken away from him by a fan. And they're going to call it a home run. I can't believe it. Richie Garcia is calling it a home run. And Tarasco is out to argue. A terrible call by Richie Garcia. It's all time. Learn to play the winner's way. Because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. Hey, welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, May the 27th, show number 37 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we'll be talking with the founder of BaseballHQ.com and the guy who runs the monthly fantasy baseball game site, Chandler Park. It's Ron Chandler, and we'll be talking with Ron about how the monthly game works, some of its strategies and tactics, and players to target and avoid for June leagues. We'll also have a commentary from an expert at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our minor league minute is taking the week off, but we have the metric minute, and analyst Ryan Bloomfield talking about expected batting average for hitters. It's another big show. Thanks for joining us on the Tuesday Tout Edition of Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? We gotta talk some baseball. And we open our Tuesday Tout Edition, as always, with our feature expert interview. The founder of BaseballHQ.com and the man behind Chandler Park, it's Ron Chandler. Ron, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, Patrick, it's always a pleasure to be on. And it's always a pleasure to have you. I, I always start these interviews by asking how your expert league teams are doing. So how, how are you doing in your uh, leagues? You can play in three or four, don't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm in uh, four different leagues. Um, I'm glad you're asking me now because a month ago I would have uh, I would have <laughs> had a really sad story to tell. But uh, with players like Edwin Encarnacion and Dallas Keuchel on many of my teams, I've had a very, very good month of May. Um, you know, I wrote about how my Tower Wars team was in last place, uh, really deep into last place, but we're now up until ninth, so uh, I'm, I'm looking up there, and uh, my other teams, uh, the XFL, I'm in third place, and the FSTA Experts League, I'm also in third place, uh, so uh, things are looking up right now. You mentioned having Dallas Keuchel, did you have him from the start, or was he a, was he a free agent pickup early in the season? He he was uh, an early season free agent pickup, I always had him tucked away in my back pocket, because uh at the first pitch uh, forms this this, uh, this past spring, we talked about him as uh, as uh, as the uh, one pitcher in the American League that had increased his swinging strike percentage m- more than anybody else. So I kind of kept him back there, thinking, well, maybe there's something there, and uh, he certainly proved out to be a really good pickup. He has. I wonder when you look at a guy as a free agent pickup possibility like Dallas Keuchel, are you worried at all about the fact he's pitching for such a poor team? Well, you know his. I don't expect very much out of his win totals, but uh, everything else, all his peripherals look solid, and uh, he's been having quality starts one after the other uh, on the PQS scale. He's, he's been put, putting up fours and fives consistently. 
Uh, I think he's for real. I think he's going to be able to keep this up. PQS, for our listeners, a pure quality starts, a measure that BaseballHQ.com uses from 0 to 5, with 4 and 5 being really terrific, all based on skills rather than outcomes, which is good. Uh, Ron, uh, I'd like to talk to you today about monthly fantasy baseball at Chandler Park. It's, uh, it's going well. There's a real big interest in monthly games because of the nice balance between not being out of the race too early if you're in a full season league and uh, you get to draft more often, you have more pennant races. But for listeners who aren't fully familiar with the format, maybe give us the overview of monthly fantasy baseball at Chandler Park. Uh, Sure. And like you mentioned, Patrick, uh, it is the balance between the full season and and the daily daily contests. If if you're in a full season league and you drafted Jose Fernandez or you've just lost Prince Fielder, you know, it might have taken a huge toll on your team, and, and if you're in the bottom of the standings at this point, it's, it's really tough to start making up ground. You know, we've actually done research that if uh, at this point, around June 1st, if your team is in fifth place or lower, uh, that percentage, the odds of you uh, winning your league now are down to about 12%. So you know, it, was, it was about 20% at the end of April, now it's down to about 12% if you're in fifth place or lower. So, I mean... <sighs> In, in realistic terms, it's going to be tough to come back. And although the monthly leagues uh, are, are great competition in their own right, uh, there, there were nice uh, supplementary uh, contests that you can play if, if you're struggling in your full-season leagues. But basically the way we have it set up is uh, they're salary cap games. And I think uh, in, in sal- the salary cap format is, is probably one of the purest formats in fantasy because it doesn't force the participants to put a value on players. It just forces them to evaluate whether the price tag or the salary that a player has is, uh, is a reasonable price. So uh, right now, um, going into our June leagues, you know, if, if you had a Carlos Santana, for instance, I mean, he's having a horrible season. He would be like a $1 earnings at this point. Uh, but we have him priced at about $10, which shows that we expect that perhaps there could be some bounce back in him. And you have to evaluate whether you would spend $10 for Carlos Santana to, to uh, perform fairly decently in, in, uh, in June. Uh, similarly, uh, Clayton Kershaw is about $26, $28. That might be a bargain in your eyes. So you have to evaluate every player and then assemble a team, uh, a traditional rotisserie team, uh, uh, based upon uh, the price tags for each player. And uh, it's not priced, most of the salary cap games, the big national ones, are priced in millions of dollars as a kind of a um, simulacrum of uh, the, the real major leagues, but in, in the monthly fantasy baseball at Chandler Park, the salaries are rotisserie-level salaries rather than million-dollar salaries, right? Right, that's correct. And, and that's to, to provide some familiarity, so you know that yeah. with the, $30 player is and a $40 player is versus a, a 5 or $10 player. So all the players have uh, have salaries that we're familiar with. It's scaled to the rotisserie, as you said. Uh, uh, how much dollars do you have in fake rotisserie money to spend? Well, the roster's a little bit larger. Um, uh, you've got 23 actives and 9 reserves, and you have to pay for all of them. So we, we give our... Uh, our players a $300 budget to fill uh, those 32 slots. But uh, the way the prices come out, it's still a very familiar type of uh, setup. And how do you? what's the scoring system? I know it's a rotisserie-style game, but you don't use the traditional 4x4 or 5x5 rotisserie scoring categories. Yeah, you know, since it's a one-month league, and we have to make accommodations for the, the shorter time span, 
So we've crunched down uh, the, the, the stat categories a little bit. It's a four by it's a modified four by four league. You know, there are some traditional statistics like home runs, stolen bases, uh, ERA, uh, strikeouts. But uh, then we uh, we combine runs and RBIs into a runs produced. It's actually runs plus RBIs minus home runs. Uh, we use on base percentage, and on the pitching side, uh, we use saves plus holds and wins plus quality starts. And um, there, there's some been some discussion about that in the past. For the purpose of a one month game, I think saves plus holds is very important because, uh, for instance, the average winning roster last uh, last month had about 25 saves plus holds. If it was only saves, it would be only about 12, maybe 10 or 15 uh, saves that would win your league, and it's just not enough counting stats during the course of a month. So we, we bump up the number of, of, uh, of counting stats using that combined category. And wins plus quality starts is also in a, in a similar situation. Um, and I think it's, it's a better category overall as well. I mean, you look at a, at a pitcher like uh, Jeff Samarja right now who's uh, – who hasn't won any games, has an ERA of about one and a half. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you ranked him using traditional five-by-five five rotisserie earnings, he'd be outside the top 20 pitchers. But in this game, he's, he's in the top 10 because uh, the rest of his numbers are excellent, and eight of his 10 starts so far have been quality starts. So uh, that's kind of how we do it in this game. And when you say quality starts, you're using the traditional definition of six innings, three runs? Yeah, that's correct as opposed to a PQS 4 or 5, which is a dominant start. And I bet Dallas Koichel must be pretty good in that category. Yeah, no, he absolutely is. Uh, and the reason we use the, the traditional quality starts is that we want to be able to make uh, the statistics accessible to as many people, and they're, they're more familiar with and it's easier to calculate the six innings, three earned runs. Also, a lot of uh, newspapers and websites report quality starts now as part of their statistics packages, which is pretty handy for somebody who's uh, scanning through the lists. Sure, absolutely. I know a twist of the rules is that owners, once you have your draft, you can't add players to your roster through free agency or trading. And you've got to play the month with the 32 players you, that bring you to the dance. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, we want to make this a bit of a challenge. You know, you, you're trying to assemble 32 players who you think are going to do well over the course of, of one month period of time. And since you have the nine reserve players, that gives you flexibility to uh, activate and deactivate players during the course of the month. Uh, but I think if, if we allow people access to, to uh, all the players in, in the free agent pool, it, it would get kind of muddied. It's, it's more of a challenge if you, if you have your 32 and you have to manage your roster within those uh, limitations. Well, when you talk about managing your roster, what can you do? Uh, well, uh, we, we have it set up that you make two, two moves a week, uh, basically coordinated with each major league series. So, uh, you know, we don't have to worry about two start weeks and things along those lines. Uh, on Mondays and Fridays, you can activate or deactivate players into your uh, 23-man active roster uh, based upon, for pitchers anyway, who's pitching and who's not, and for hitters, uh, opponents. So uh, it's, it's a lot of more tactical planning um, in, in this league, and, and it works out pretty well. So, Ron, just so I understand, every Monday you set your roster for the games that are uh, Monday through Thursday, then you set your roster again Friday for weekend series that run Friday through Sunday? Uh, sure, and you know, major league teams do it that way too, so uh, that's, that's what we do as well. And is there any allowance made for the occasional weekend series that runs into Monday because of you know a holiday or Memorial Day or something like that? No, we, we don't do that. It's, it's strictly Monday through Thursday and Friday through Sunday. 
Now, you have uh, standard rotisserie position requirements. How did you determine position eligibilities, and do they change within the year? Uh, yes, they, they even change during the month. It's, it's standard rotisserie, uh, 20 games coming into the season and five games during, uh, during the season. So if, uh, if you've got Sean Rodriguez suddenly uh, qualifying at second base, uh, you can use him at second base as soon as he does qualify. I see. And uh, the leagues are all 15-team mixed? Yes, all 15-team mixed, correct. And I know you have, uh, is it three structures for entry fees with, of course, uh, prizes to match? Uh, yeah. Uh, you can come in at, at $9, $39, or $199, depending upon uh, how confident you are in, in your abilities to, 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 to play these out. And the prize structures are interesting. Uh, we, we give prizes down to uh, seventh place in most of the leagues. And, and, and really what, what that's about is that because there's so much statistical volatility within a single month, I didn't want to penalize teams that, that fared well over that time period, but like lost out late in the month because of the, you know, the vagaries, vagaries of small sample size performances. So, uh, you know, we're making accommodations for that. And, you know, I kind of thought, you know, would I rather run a league where uh, there's maybe 10 or 15% odds of breaking even with maybe a 7% chance of winning 10 times your entry fee or a nearly 50% chance of breaking even and uh, say a 7% chance of winning, you know, two or three times your entry fee. And uh, the feedback I got in, in asking a lot of people is that they like the fact that because there's a fair amount of statistical volatility within the month, uh, it gives them a, a good shot at least, uh, you know, getting back their entry fee if, if they finish at least in seventh place. And they get to try again uh, the next month, which is uh, good to keep everybody interested and in going. It's Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, with Ron Chandler, the founder of BaseballHQ.com and the new ChandlerPark.com, and we're talking about monthly fantasy baseball at Chandler Park. Ron, you had some test leagues last year, and you've had a live season a month of April of this year, and now May is in its final days, so I'd like to talk about about what you've seen in outcomes, strategies, tactics, patterns of play, and so on. And I'd like to start with an email you sent to your Chandler Park members recently that a lot of leagues were being very tight and very competitive. And I'm wondering if you've noticed or if you've checked to see if the number of really competitive leagues versus runaway winners is a lot different than you see in traditional full-season leagues. Well, I'm not so sure if we can make that comparison. Since this is a a fairly new format, um, a lot of, of players now are kind of, still feeling the way around, and, and there are varying skill levels. So what I'm finding, actually, is that the, the lower-cost leagues tend to have a wider spread of standings, but the, those people who are investing a little bit into the higher-priced leagues, uh, they're more astute players, I guess, and the standings are a lot tighter in those leagues. Uh, in one of the, uh, uh, the gold level, the one, $199 leagues that we're running, uh, from 1st to 10th place is separated by about 5 points wow. going into this week. Um, so it's, it's, it's very competitive, and it, it would take just one or two moves uh, during those transaction periods to, to shift the standing. So uh, uh, it's interesting, and it, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I know you've been looking at how uh, various owners are approaching the game strategically. You've asked some of them to write for Chandler Park and explain what they're doing. Uh, what approaches have you seen you think are the most common as far as the strategy of the game? Um, I, I think the way players are using their reserve list is, uh, is interesting. Uh, because you get to set your lineup twice a week, you want to be able to make sure your pitching staff in particular have starting pitchers who are going during, during that period of time. So I see a lot of people stocking six or seven of their nine reserve spots with pitchers. 
and, and running those pitchers in and out as, as they have starts coming up. Uh, so that's probably uh, the most common thing that I've seen people doing. And uh, have you seen any uh, outliers? Regular full-season fantasy baseball has a lot of strategic innovations over the years. You had the Lima plan. There's offense-heavy plans like Lima Extrema and Labadini and and uh, the Santana plan and so forth. Have you seen any unorthodox strategies in the monthly fantasy games at Chandler Park? Uh, people are trying a lot of different things. I mean, again, since it's a new format, uh, back in September when we ran one of uh, one of our test leagues, one of the winners of, of those leagues a one with uh, a pitching staff of of less than twenty dollars. So he spent less than twenty dollars on his pitchers, and he won. And you know, and again, it it all de- it all depends upon which pitchers you you select. So you know, and that might have just been a lucky month. But people have, have been trying different things. Uh, some people stock a lot of of, of batters uh, in their in their reserve and, and and try to play platoon matchups and things along those lines. Probably um, the most successful type of strategy is is to really to play the schedule, uh, and and one of our writers, uh, William Sperberg, has written some wonderful uh, pieces about uh, looking at the major league schedule and playing off of that. You know, for instance, this past past month in May, the Yankees only had five home games all month, and that's an important piece of information if you're going to draft Yankee players. You know, typically players perform better at home than they do on the road, so. Yankee players were not good investments during the month of May because they played so few home games. And that's you know, a little piece of tactical information that, that comes in handy. Yeah, and even looking forward at who who various teams are playing, um, you mentioned the the Yankees are mostly on the road, and then you if you look at their schedule or any team's schedule in detail, you find out, geez, I'd really like to avoid teams that are playing against the Tigers. I'd really like to avoid teams that are playing against, uh, well, now Toronto and maybe Oakland, and I'd I'd like to feast on teams that have a lot of games against the Houston's of the of the league and so forth. Sure, and and what, one interesting uh, last July we. Uh, Looking at the major league schedule last July, typically you would not draft Colorado Rocky pitchers. But if you look at the Rockies' home schedule last July, every single team that they were playing was a poor offensive ball club. Uh, so if you had drafted, you know, very meticulously picked through the Colorado pitching staff and picked one or two guys who might have some upside, uh, Tyler Chatwood is a name that comes to mind. He, he had an excellent July last year. Uh, because they were on the road for a good part of the month, and when they were home, they were facing you know, low-level teams. So, uh, again, the Major League schedule is, is, is provides some great insight in picking good players. And that seems to lead to the idea of figuring out which guys you want to roster when you, when you do your draft process. Uh, the obvious approach is to say, well... Player X is at uh, $19. I think he's a bargain at that price. And some of them look very obvious when you, when you look at the list that way. But the trouble is because you don't get that player to yourself, unlike rotisserie leagues, you, c- you have to share that player with everybody else who thinks like you do. And if a player is a jumping obvious bargain, suppose, for instance, that Clayton Kershaw came off the DL and you guys priced him at $9. I think he's quite a bit higher than that in the 20s, which makes it a tougher call. But suppose he was way down there at 8 or $9.00 everybody would take Clayton Kershaw, so you derive no advantage from it. And so the trick is to find the guys who are going to be good bargains that nobody else is going to agree with you on. Uh, earlier this year, I talked with Gene McCaffrey about the strategy for full-season salary cap games, and he called some picks self-defense picks, which is the players you have to pick because you know everybody else will, uh, Kershaw in my example. How does that sound to you as a strategic philosophy for uh, the, the monthly game? 
Oh, absolutely. It's, um, it's, it's a vital part of, of, of the decision-making process. Uh, when you're drafting your, 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 your teams, you have to look for the, the, the good bargains and, <clears throat> and, and pounce on them. Uh, you know, for instance, going into June now, Annabelle Sanchez, who, who had been hurt, is priced at $10, which I think is, is a great bargain going into June. You know, his first uh, start or two off the DL is, uh, has been pretty good, and I think he could return $20 worth of value. A guy like that, I think you have to put on your team if, if you're convinced that he's going to continue pitching well. Uh, you can call it a self-defense pick, if you will. Um, but I think those guys have to be on your, on your roster when you start the season. Now, during the season, you can use that tactically as well, especially late in the month when you're uh, either when you're at the top of the standings or, or near the bottom of the standings. For instance, uh, Todd Zola wrote, wrote a piece for us uh, last week looking at Trevor Rosenthal. Um, there is a report on the site that allows you to see the ownership percentages of, of, of every player in your team, in your league, and, and uh, overall. And Rosenthal was on uh, about 50% of all the teams uh, competing this past month. So if, if you're behind in the standings and you're trying to pick between Rosenthal and another reliever, it, it might make sense to try to find some other guy who might perhaps surpass Rosenthal in statistics over the next scoring period but if you're, you're protect, trying to protect the lead, then you want to play defense, and you go with Rosenthal on your, on your roster for that period. So, it's, again, it's a tactical way to play the game, and it's, it's important information to see these ownership percentages. I think it's interesting that the, uh, the, uh, the salary cap format, a lot of uh, traditional rotisserie players, one of the things that they don't like about it is the, is the fact that that, that valuation decision is, is made by the league rather than by the player at an auction or in a, in a straight draft. But in fact, it's still a, a, a value decision that you're making, as you said earlier, and it gives rise to all of these other tactical decisions that have to be made during the, the one-month period where the game is underway. Right, and, you know, it's, it, it's interesting in that you, um, while, the, while the valuation decision is taken out of your hands as far as assigning an actual price to a player, you're still having to decide whether the player is has value at that certain price. Just like going into a, you know a store and, and evaluating <clears throat> different prices for the same product, you're trying to determine whether the uh, the price assigned to a certain product meets the value that it has to you. So uh, it's 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 a different way of, of looking at the players in the salary cap game versus traditional you know draft or auctions. But uh, it's 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 still a decision that you have to make, and it's still. Uh, a part of the roster construction process. You know what it reminds me of? I remember years ago on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums, there was a discussion about what sort of external activity fantasy baseball most reminded people of, and one guy wrote in that he thought that auction-based fantasy baseball reminded him of the stock market, and a bunch of people said, well, no, it's not like the stock market because we can all own shares of Exxon, but only one person in traditional rotisserie can own Miguel Cabrera. And for that reason, it makes me think that these salary cap games like monthly fantasy baseball at Chandler Park are more like the stock market. You're making these valuation decisions based on not only value at the time, but the likelihood for growth, the likelihood for profit, big dividends, or however you want to look at it. And I wonder, uh, first of all, if you agree with that, and second of all, do you have any financial people in the leagues? Uh, I don't know. I, we have a, <laughs> quite a few people who are playing us uh, right now, but uh, I, I don't know who they are. But uh, yeah, I mean, your your comparison is, is right on point. And you know, we've often compared uh, playing fantasy to playing the stock market. In fact, uh, 
you know, years ago when uh, Major League Baseball was accusing us of, uh, of running gambling operations here, we always tried to liken fantasy to uh, playing the stock market because it's, it's a similar type thing. There's, there's unknown, uh, there's, there's a certain element of unknown uh, in, in, in selecting stocks or players, and, and you're, you're trying to attach a value based upon what you think is going to happen in the future. But um, uh, the salary cap games probably are uh, a better uh, comparison to the stock market than uh, the auction and, and, and the draft-type uh, fantasy. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick Davitt with Ron Chandler, the founder of BaseballHQ.com and new ChandlerPark.com, where you can play f- monthly fantasy baseball. It's a really interesting game and it's definitely well worth looking at. Ron, you're also still very active with BaseballHQ.com as a writer and analyst. And in a recent Fanalytics column, you discussed your analytical shortcuts. And I guess the first question is, why do you think you need to use shortcuts? Because I'm busy, Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> We're all busy. We all have got so many things going on, and uh, you know, my for some reason my discretionary time seems to be uh, dwindling uh, every year, and and so I'm trying to find ways to maintain the value that we find that with the tools at BaseballHQ.com, uh, while not having to spend as much time uh, putting together all these reports. So, uh, yeah, I, I put together basically th- these are like back of the napkin type things that. Uh, when I have to make some quick decisions during transaction periods, uh, I can just jot a bunch of names down, and I know exactly where to go on the website to uh, to get the most important information and pull it together quickly so I can make some quick decisions. My favorite tool on the site right now is the uh, Pitcher Matchups tool. It's an exclusive uh, tool that BaseballHQ.com has developed. It's kind of hidden on the site under probable pitchers under teams, so you have to look for it a bit. But, boy, is it is it a help when you're trying to figure out who you want to stream in for the weekend's games and for the week's games. It must be fantastic for, for the monthly game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I rely on that uh, almost exclusively when trying to set my lineup for each scoring period. In another earlier column, Ron, you said that you've made peace with PEDs, which is a, something of a controversial uh, topic, and you said in the column that the real drug is the money. What did you mean by that? Well, uh... I came to this uh, epiphany, if you will, actually after listening to one of uh, your previous broadcasts, and you're talking to Peter Kreutzer uh, just a month or two ago uh, about an article he had written about PEDs, and he had referenced uh, a column uh, by a former major leaguer, Ryan Spielborg, where he was kind of honest about his perception about PEDs, and he talked about um, the Latin players and how, uh, you know, however we want to view this, they are the ones who seem to be getting caught in uh, in in, the, in these drug busts, uh, more often than not, and and you know we, we we look at where a lot of these players come from. You know the Latin countries; they they come from poverty, and uh, the the opportunity to play Major League Baseball and make millions of dollars is just such an allure to them uh, that they would you know they they would. I guess the way Brian Spielberg says, he says it's 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 not human nature to cheat, but it's certainly in our nature to push the envelope as far as we can to to give ourselves any advantage that we can in our lives and in our families. And I think that's what's happening with a lot of this stuff. It's it's the opportunity to, to get out of poverty that's pushing a lot of these players and, and sometimes crossing the line a little bit. And not that they're trying to cheat. It's just that uh, when when you're living in, in such conditions, you'll try anything you can to get yourself and your family out of that. So, you know, I, we look at this take even $100,000 would get a lot of these players out of poverty, and yet they're getting millions upon millions of dollars in, in, in many cases. So I think they're drawn to this, and I think that's what's, what's driving uh, the players, and I think that's, uh, needless to say, what's driving you know, owners and whatnot uh, 
so the money, I think, is, is the real underlying impetus for all of this. And I think that's, that's really where, 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 where this whole thing lies right now. Yeah, I, I think so too. I remember talking with Peter about that, and we kind of came to the mutual conclusion that, you know, if the price of, of getting a, an eight or nine million dollar major league contract instead of a, you know, thousand dollar a week triple A contract is that you've got to either bend the rules or outright cheat by, by using these uh, substances, it seems very much like a rational economic decision to give it a whirl. And especially if you're smart enough uh, to do it in a way that you don't leave a paper trail, uh, we have to remember that the um, biogenesis um, busts that were made, none of them was based on a positive drug test. Everybody passed the drug test. It was all based on canceled checks and receipts and all that kind of stuff. And, and if you have a little money and if you're you know, more comfortable in the culture perhaps than some of the Latin players are, there are ways to get these substances and leave no trail behind and to probably get a decent doctor who can help you out and make sure that you're do- using the substances correctly and won't get caught. It Doesn't it seem like they're making what on the surface at least looks like a completely rational economic choice? Oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. And the culture in, in, in these Latin countries is that uh, getting to the states to play baseball is 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 an absolute goal, and if you don't make it, is there's like a stigma attached to you. So um, they're conditioned to to do whatever they they need to do to get to the states. And and given the fact that uh, the biogenesis bus did not in, in, include positive drug tests, I mean the tests can be beaten. We've said for a very long time that the the, uh, the laboratories will also always be one step ahead of the testers anyway. So there are ways. There are ways to do this smartly, and I'm convinced now that uh, many more players are, are, are using PEDs than, uh, than we are led to believe, and they're doing it smartly, and they're not leaving the paper trail, as you say, and we have to consider this as a part of the game, no matter how hard Major League Baseball is trying to cut down on them. Well, Major League Baseball, at least trying to cut down on the perception of it, I don't think that they that they really are that concerned one way or the other whether people are, are using. They just don't want to get them caught. And we could veer off on a tangent. I went on with uh, Joe Sheehan one time about the, uh, the reason that they want to create the perception of dealing with PEDs. Uh, Melky Cabrera of the Jays is having another fine season, and he was even profiled, I don't know if you saw it, uh, in the Sunday New York Times, but surely there's going to be suspicion that Melky is back on the juice. And leaving aside whether he is or not, whether he's just being smarter about it, I wonder, A, how do you react as a guy who makes a, a good part of his living by projecting player performance and not knowing whether Melky is back on the juice and having to make assumptions about it? And then, B, how do we as fantasy owners react to Melky's fine season and the you know the possibility that rises up that he might get caught again. Yeah, um, as far as I'm concerned, he's back on the juice. I I mean, I, whatever the reason, I mean, he was just uh, a mediocre player for, for for several years, and he took his game up a notch. Got caught for PEDs, so there, there's got to be some type of correlation there. We, you know, we can't uh, pin it down precisely, but there there is some type of correlation there. People. Uh, Players wouldn't be using PADs if they didn't give him some advantage. So, uh, I mean, that, that's that's the bottom line. I think, I think with Melky, he probably is, and uh, we just have to assume. For me, anyway, I'm just going in assuming that um, if if there is a huge spike in performance that can't be explained um, by either statistical or scouting methods, uh, I have to think there's some outside factors there that we don't know about, and and PADs have to be a part of that arsenal of explanations that we use to to try to validate performance. So uh, I'm on, 
I'm not would not be the least bit surprised to find out that uh, Melky's back on the juice. And weirdly, it kind of makes his it easier to manage how we think about him, doesn't it? Because if we assume he's using, that means we can assume that his higher level of play is now a baseline because of the juice and that therefore we can trust it in a, in a certain weird way. It's, it's better that we think that he's using because it allows us to feel more confident in what he's doing currently. Sure. And, and, and I've said all along that I don't have any legal or ethical or, or moral issues with PEDs in and of themselves. My, my, my gripe with them is the fact that they really mess up my ability to protect, project player performance. And if I can re- rely on them now and, and say that, okay, this is for real, it makes it a lot easier to project how players are going to perform. And, and so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, this may be the new baseline for, for Melky, and uh, we'll use that as, as a point in, in, the, uh, in the projecting trend going forward. And then the only guy who's going to catch you by surprise is a player who wasn't using, who starts using, which means his projection is going to be low because his performance will be improved. Or perhaps you get a player who was using, got his big contract, decided to stop, and his, and his performance declines because of the, of the change. But if you just assume everybody's using, then you can just say, all right, that's the standard, and we'll just go ahead projecting as we always have, and the outliers will have to take care of themselves as they always have. Sure, and I mean, if, if, if we take the opposite approach and say that nobody's using, uh, then we're still faced with the situation of these outliers that we can't explain. But um, if, if we allow ourselves to, to put PEDs in the equation as, as far as one of those variables that could be happening, it kind of makes more logical sense and makes it easier to deal with these outliers. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Ron Chandler, the founder of BaseballHQ.com and ChandlerPark.com, where you can play monthly fantasy baseball. Ron, uh, about this time of the show, we always ask our experts to look at some facts or flukes or studs and duds. Uh, I'd ask to, like to ask you about some players that you would like to acquire and players you're going to be avoiding. And normally when I'm talking with experts, we do this for the full balance of the year. But in honor of our focus on monthly fantasy baseball at Chandler Park, let's look at studs and duds just for the coming June league. And uh, let me start by asking you, how about a hitter you think looks pretty good for June? Um, this is an interesting exercise, actually, because uh, when uh, we set the values for the players each month, we look at what, uh, what they've earned over the previous uh, the previous month, what their earnings is to date, and we kind of see if there's a trend or something that we can pick up on. One of the players I, who I'd be interested in speculating on for June is, is Robinson Cano. Um, his, his batting average looks great. His power is just MIA completely. But he earned $7 in April and $15 in May, so there seems to be a little bit of growth there. His salary right now is set at $18 for June leagues, and given that he's typically a $20 to $25 player at full strength, I think there may be a little bit of profit in there at $18. So I would take a chance on Canel for June. How about a hitter you would think twice about rostering? Here we look at some of the early surprises, and I think Charlie Blackman is still someone who I'm a little bit uh, hesitant about. He earned $37 in April, um, earned 26 in May, so that's coming down a little bit. His salary for June is 25 so it still shows you know, somewhat erosion of the skills, but I don't see this as a, as a $20 player going forward. And if there's a month that he might perhaps come down to earth, um, uh, it, it seems like the direction's already headed that way, and so I, I probably would not draft Blackman in June for that reason. Now let's go to the pitcher's mound. How about a pitcher you think looks promising for June? 
There are actually quite a few low-priced arms uh, because some lost time due to injury and whatnot. You know, Roldis Chapman is only $8 for June. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, Annabelle Sanchez is only 10 And even Clayton Kershaw is at $28. Um, I think there's profit in all of those. Uh, I think if you look around the list, you'll find quite a few pitchers who, who might be able to provide some good value in June. How about a pitcher you don't want on your squad for June? I was looking through the list, and I find it interesting that two pitchers are both uh, – We've priced them both at $18 for June, and one is Justin Verlander, and the other is Mark Burley. And <laughs> you would never, coming into the season, value both those pitchers at the same uh, at, the, at the same salary. But here they are both at 18, and I don't think I would take either one at 18 right now. Uh, Verlander is just not pitching all that well, and, and I just don't see Burley, Burley as, as a nearly $20 pitcher. So uh, I would probably stay away from both of them. All right, Ron, uh, thanks very much for doing this today. Can you tell us where listeners can read more of your work? Uh, sure. You know, I'm always at BaseballHQ.com, always there. Um, every Tuesday or Wednesday in USA Today, the newspaper, and online. Uh, you can find me at Twitter, at Ron Chandler, uh, and uh, ChandlerPark.com. We're, uh, we're running the monthly leagues. The June deadlines are, are this Sunday, um, which is June 1st. So you've got to sign up your team and, and, and get your rosters in by, uh, by midnight Sunday night. Ron, thanks very much for doing this. So I hope we can catch up with you again later on in the year when you have a little more information and data to look at as far as the monthly fantasy baseball games at Chandler Park. It would be my pleasure to come on again. Thanks, Patrick. Ron Chandler is the founder of BaseballHQ.com and the monthly fantasy baseball game site ChandlerPark.com. When we come back, we'll have the Metric Minute. Stay here. It's Baseball HQ Radio. First off, Stengel was to me, one of the more misunderstood figures in baseball because of his time with the Mets and because he understood what his role was and his role was to entertain the media. And, and I think uh, his baseball knowledge and his, his general acumen was really lost in a lot of that caricature, okay? He became a caricature uh, of himself. And uh, for the players, though, it was interesting, you know? He'd get you in spring training every year and he had the same routine. I mean, with the Mets, I mean, he really started with the basics. I mean, you know, he went over to the bag and he reached in there and he pulled out a ball and he said, this is a baseball. That's where we started. Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Always get a kick out of Ron Svoboda talking about Casey Stengel, his manager with the Miracle Mets. Be sure to check BaseballHQ.com right now for these features. Our daily call-ups report looks at Tampa right-hander Alex Colomay and Milwaukee right-hander Jimmy Nelson, both recently called up as well as many other recent arrivals. In the Starting Pitcher Buyer's Guide, Stephen Nickrand looks at Deep League Targets. And Dan Becker's Batter's Buyer's Guide looks at Hard Contact Index Drivers and Dribblers. Plus, we have all the regular analysis of playing time, facts and flukes, performance validation, the other buyer's guides, divisional outlooks, and much more. All in all, it's fantasy intelligence for winners at BaseballHQ.com. Time now for our Baseball HQ commentary. The Minor League Minute is taking the week off. So, leading off, it'll be the Metric Minute. And telling us about expected batting average for hitters, here's analyst Ryan Bloomfield. This week we take a look at expected batting average, or XBA as it's often referred to on BaseballHQ.com and here on Baseball HQ Radio. XBA is a metric that attempts to determine a hitter's batting average based on his skills. It calculates a hitter's batting average by multiplying the percentage of balls put in play by the chance that that ball could fall for a hit. 
Going even further here, XBA looks at the player's contact rate, power, speed, and then the distribution of ground balls, line drives, and fly balls to come up with a single number. XBA can be found on every hitter's player link page on BaseballHQ.com. From a practical standpoint, XBA can be used to find outliers and variances between a player's skills and his surface stats. XBA does approximate a player's batting average very well, so it can be used to find those large variances between the two as a strong indicator of future change. Variances around 20 points or less should be discounted. There's not really enough there to, uh, to warrant any more. But anything above 30 should be a flag uh, for further analysis. A couple of examples from uh, 2014 so far through, uh, through late May here. Uh, Jose Abreu, despite his recent injury and his power display, uh, his XBA is above 300 while his batting average is at 260. So expect that to actually go up and, and from a batting average standpoint, see better results there. Elvis Andrews is another guy. His expected batting average is just under 300 while his surface batting average is below 250. That's a big variance. Expect that to go up. Um, a few guys where XBA says they're they're performing a little bit better than they should. Brett Gardner is one guy. He's hitting 300 off to a great start, but XBA doesn't fully believe in it. His XBA is down near 250. Juan Uribe, another guy, hot start. Expecting ab- bat- expected batting average is about 50 points lower than his surface batting average, so we're not too uh, confident that that start's going to continue. So you can look at cases like this when evaluating a hitter's batting average and overall skill set especially as we're about a quarter of the way through the season to see what may be a fact or a fluke. So be sure to look at a player's expected batting average to see if there may be a shift here in the future. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with BaseballHQ.com. Analyst Ryan Bloomfield writes regularly for BaseballHQ.com and talks about various site metrics and how to use them every Tuesday here at Baseball HQ Radio. And that's Baseball HQ Radio, the Tuesday Tout Edition for May the 27th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 37 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our featured guest on this Tuesday Tout edition, the founder of BaseballHQ.com, and the guy who's running the new monthly fantasy baseball game site, Chandler Park. It was Ron Chandler, and of course, without Ron, there would be no Baseball HQ and certainly no Baseball HQ radio podcast either. So I always say thanks to Ron Chandler, and I also want to thank our commentator from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Analyst Ryan Bloomfield was our Metric Minute commentator, and Ryan does a great job as well. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. And remember, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. It all helps. Also, check out Baseball HQ on Facebook, and we have a Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. You can also feel free to follow my personal Twitter account at Patrick Davitt, and we'll keep you up to date. As soon as the new show comes out, you'll be the first to know. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Friday with our News and Notes edition featuring League Watch News reports, our weekly talk with Todd Zola, pitcher matchups, master notes. Oh, it's a great show. And next Tuesday, it'll be another Tuesday Tout edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators. 
or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.